Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, and I too own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals. But Dan, as the fight always has to continue, the annuals don't count. All right, that's fair. As always, <laughs> I don't, I, I'm not committed to convincing you in the intro to every episode. Well, everybody, welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Take it away, Mark. You bet. Well, today on the show, Dan and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, Number 60, Slash Legacy Number 861. Right, Dan? Am I, am I, am I losing track of my legacy number in there? That's correct, Mark. 861. Okay. Well, Amazing Spider-Man number 60 was written by, and let me just say, in addition to always arguing about annuals, the other thing that you come for Amazing Spider-Talk for is to hear me mispronounce names of creators, was written by Nick Spencer with pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by John Dell and Andrew Hennessy, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Joe Caramanga, and a cover by Mark Bagley, John Dell, and Nathan Fairbairn. Fairbairn is probably the one I screwed up the most, but we did it. <laughs> this issue was first released on February 24th, 2021. But Mark and I are not alone because today we've invited back on our good friend of the show and a new editor at Publishers Weekly, as well as a New York Times published author. It's Alan Scherstel. Welcome back to the show, Alan. Thanks, guys. It's great to be back with you, too, and talking about this interesting issue. But I mean, I, I have to say that you know, when this annual discussion comes up, sometimes I feel like you two are trapped in the cycle of punishment for all of this and you're locked in place and never moving forward. Like, like this will always be your life. Like, like Harry Osborne said he wanted to show you guys hell. Maybe this is it. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why we always bring on the available Alan I turned to Alan for these insights and for his semi-un-PC nicknames for characters. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, thanks for coming on the show. We're here, of course, to talk about Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, Number 60. 
And, you know, you came, the reason we're having you on is because you came at me with like kind of a hot take on, on this issue on, on Facebook, as sometimes you do after reading an issue. And, you know, I'll take any excuse to invite you on the show, but I felt like this was also an appropriate issue to kind of talk about the trajectory of the Nick Spencer run and how it, you know, has been handled, uh, you know, over the past year or two. I think it's been a little while since you've been on Alan, so I'm looking forward to kind of catching up with your overall thoughts on the run thus far and on this issue. I guess let's start there, Alan, so people can kind of get a frame for your feelings about Nick Spencer. I mean, the last time I had you on, I think, was for Absolute Carnage, where I forced you to read Venom comics. What have you been thinking about this amazing Spider-Man run thus far? Have you been like more or less in line with Mark and I and my uh, response to it. We just uh, apologize for coming at you on Facebook over this. I'm not in the spider slack. I probably should be, but for the last like two years, I have not had to be in a workplace slack and I just can't bring myself to, to like load up slack, you know, after having had that, after having had a job where I had to be on slack all day. So I, I apologize. I should save these takes for there, but instead I, I brought them to you. As for the Spencer run, yeah, I am mostly in agreement, maybe in between the two of you on this. I feel like throughout the Spencer run, uh, as, as Mark would put it, and I think I believe Mark has said this on the show, we often get a great individual issue, but it doesn't feel like it connects to a larger ongoing story. You know, this, this run has so many ideas, it has so many big arcs, and it has so many things that it never gets back to after it's introduced them. And I, I wonder, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll get into this a bit more in a few minutes, but, but I mean, I wonder a lot as I'm reading this run. The two things that I think formal issues with it are the first one has been that it is very often lacks Peter's narrative voice. And I find that a real surprise from Spencer because he's so adept at putting us, you know, giving us the voice of a kind of of a character, often a ne'er-do-well character whom he really, he really likes his Ant-Mans and his Boomerangs. Uh, not Boomerang. But yeah, it's Boomerang. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I sometimes mix up Boomerang and Bullseye. And uh, being Bullseye's roommate might be even worse. <laughs> but now that you say that, I would think I would love to see Nick Spencer write Bullseye. I'd love to. We'll put a pin uh, in that. Sorry. I, I, yeah. And the second formal issue I, I tend to have with this run is I think it really lacks, it's really it, the lack of the two pages that have been cut from Marvel Comics over the years. The 22-page story now being the 20-page story, I think really has, a, has had an impact on this run in that... You know, we we get it in this issue, but as I've said before on this show, I miss it when we do not get a page of Spider-Man swinging around town thinking about his problems or thinking about all the things that are going on or thinking about how hard it is to balance all these things in his life or thinking about what it is he wishes he were doing other than rushing to prevent whatever thing he's rushing to prevent or hunting down whatever villain he's hunting down. Without those pages and without much of Peter's narrative voice, this book for 60 issues now has not felt driven by this character. It has not felt like, like, it, like the character's motivations are shaping the drama at all. 
at all is probably a little putting it a little too strongly, but I really miss that. And there's a lot of good individual issues. Every issue has strong moments. Nick Spencer is one of the smartest comics writers there is. I think I, I've always felt like he got a lot of, uh, I'm going to use the word guff because I'm trying not to swear here, for his Captain America Hydra story, which was a brilliant story. And he pulled it off like so well. And it's one of the best, you know, Marvel event comics that I've ever read. And like, I've enjoyed almost everything he's ever written before. And it's just his amazing Spider-Man that I find is not really knocking me out. Do you think that's due to like the combination of, of the character and the changes in, in the medium? I mean, I've long said that the erasure of thought bubbles, you know, kind of took away a core element of Spider-Man. Is this something that you found unique to criticize about this run? Or did you experience this similar kind of problem in Dan Slott's also bi-monthly In Dan Slott's run, you always knew where his head was at. You, I mean, you always know where, where, where Peter's head was at or Ock's head was at. When, and you always know where in all of Spencer's other comics, you know, who's thinking what. But yeah, I do, I do think that the, the the death of the thought bubble has put us into this mode of comic storytelling that is not as often caught up in the present beat to beat moment to moment of what the characters are feeling and so often instead we get a somewhat unrelated monologue playing out over the panel images and Spencer and many other creators who take this approach too leave it to us to like reconcile the images with the text and come to a greater meaning. And I think in terms of, you know, a mainstream Spider-Man comic, there is some immediacy and excitement and engagement that is lost in that technique. So this is a good kind of a bridge to this issue, which I think I dare say is quite the opposite of what what we've been describing. So uh, let's go around the the horn here. Um, Alan, as you're the, our guest, I'll let you kind of start things off. What did you think about Amazing Spider-Man number 60 overall a, as a comic book and as an entry in Nick Spencer's ongoing story? Uh, let me, I think I'd rather just talk about the first first for the other stuff. I think maybe get to that a little later just because there's a lot to unpack and I have way too many thoughts. But, I mean, this is my favorite issue since the first issue. And, you know, I, I've never actively disliked this run. I've always felt all along that, oh, we're just about to the really cool thing. Or, or sometimes I just really enjoy an issue. But often it's just, we're just about to the really cool thing. That's coming real soon. And then it never quite gets here. This is the first time in this run where I felt, oh, we're just about to the really cool thing. And also, oh, that was a really good, satisfying issue at the same time. Mark, how about you? What what were your thoughts on this issue? I, I know I texted you like, I can't wait for you to read this. I feel <laughs> like this issue has been very polarizing and I really don't know where you're going to fall on this one. So I, I, I am curious myself what you think about it. Well, that's it. And, and, and maybe I should like kind of admit some of the sausage making here in that the first time, you know, I, I knew going into this issue without having anything spoiled for me that this was be this was very polarizing based on some of the stuff I was seeing on social media. On first read, I was like, that was really good. I felt really good about that. And then I gave it a few more subsequent reads like I like to do before we, we come on and talk about this stuff, Dan. And 
my overall opinion didn't change some of the, the at least some of my negativity about this issue and how it fits into the larger run you know that's being executed here kind of came through and kind of soured me on it overall which may not be fair but like that's the thing i mean like we're 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 talking about you know what are comics they're sequential art we're telling a sequential story and you know things can be good in isolation but like it still matters where it comes in the greater picture and you know i i i still as much as i enjoyed this issue if you know i was on a you know, the old desert island analogy and someone gave me this comic, I'd be like, ah, that was a really great Spider-Man comic that captures a lot about the character. But like the thing is, you know, we, we I guess we know too much, you know, we know where this fits in and probably what's coming next. And, you know, it, you know, I, I, I <laughs> like on subsequent reads, I kind of with that in mind was thinking, yeah, now I'm still kind of agitated the way I've been agitated with other things about this run. So that's that's kind of where I fall in. And I'm kind of, I guess, both sizing it a little bit here. And, and as for me, I, like you, really enjoyed this on my first read with a few wrinkles here and there that I'm sure we're going to discuss. This is the issue that I, I know it would make no sense getting this issue as number two in this run after the first issue. But in many ways, it feels like the second issue of a story or or the first real meaningful step forward that we've gotten in this run. And I know that that's not entirely true. We've seen characters progress. Mary Jane, I think, has progressed the most of any character in this run in terms of her autonomy and her place within the supporting cast. And I think that comes out here in this issue a little bit, barring one or two things that make me really uncomfortable. I think this issue delivers on the kind of things that we were used to from the Nick Spencer run, which is a commentary on Spider-Man comics, uh, addressing both the past and future and what he's currently doing with some kind of meta textuality. And that stuff hit me all really strong. My first read through, I mean, it was really plain as day what he's doing and what he's trying to say. On second and third read through, like you, Mark, I still really enjoyed it, but I do feel like emotionally I have been at this place for like a year now. And this is the comic kind of catching up to it, you know, and 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 I and, and that's really refreshing. But I was like, oh, I've, I, I've already been here. I like you said, I know where this is going and I know, Nick Spencer, what you're trying to do. And maybe this is the issue that kind of like nails it down and says like, this is my mission statement. And I appreciate that, even if I feel like I already knew what he was getting at. There's a joy in finally seeing it like happen, especially that last page reveal for me where like this kind of like confirmed all my suspicions that I've had since the first issue. But like it could have hit harder if I hadn't long since had that theory abandoned it and and now I've returned to it. Anyway, I think I'm kind of like with you, Mark, maybe not quite as, as strongly soured, but yeah, uh, interesting issue. But yeah, 20 issues ago, this would have been like, whoa, what an issue. So anyway, that's my uh, soapbox. I wouldn't even say 20 issues ago. I mean, I, I, I would say if this came in after the issue where, you know, Kindred murders Peter and resurrects him like 800 times, it would have 
worked better for me. But like, you know what I mean? But that's not that's not what we got. And I think that's kind of where the frustration lies. It's like, you know, like trying to find the place for this because it, it, it you know, either way, I think we're in agreement as much as we like this, the placement is not necessarily appropriate here based on, again, what's preceded it and what we assume is coming after. And that's, again, that's the frustration. It's like, you know, I don't feel like there is more thought going into how each issue feeds into the next when it comes to this run. And and we can talk about it. Is it the creator? Is it the editor? Whatever. It's still the problem for me. This does feel like the wrap up to last remains that we should have gotten in 55. But like, I also feel like the conclusion to last remains wasn't a conclusion. And then the wrap up wasn't a wrap up. You know what I mean? So like, so again, like, where does it fit in? I don't know, because like we, we, we still don't really know what that's what happened in that story that made it made it definitive and and worth you know all of the tie-in issues and all of the hype and bluster of it so it's like we finally (laughs) got to the fireworks factory many many years later after we set out for the fireworks factory and instead of a fireworks show at the fireworks factory we got some metatextual criticism of fireworks (laughs) <laughs> and I welcome that. I mean, I, I appreciate that it seems that Spencer has the mission, rather wh- whether it's been imposed by Marvel or it's self-imposed. I appreciate that Spencer feels he has like this mission to dig into the darkest, forgotten, intentionally forgotten corners of Spider-Man continuity and make some sense of them and rehabilitate them and like take care of Peter, like nurture this character back to something. But I I feel like when Peter is directly on a stage with a spotlight on him, addressing his villain and Mary Jane and spoilers Mysterio (laughs) and, and he is (laughs) directly addressing the cycle of, of never growing of, of, of not having a marriage or a child and never growing up and this being hell. I, I feel like in some ways, this is the writer holding the character accountable for like the preferences and the business model of the company that sells his stories. And I, I, to me, it just doesn't necessarily make real emotional sense. Like, I, I get, feel like this run is asking us to believe something that we as comics fans all know isn't true and have adapted to know isn't true. This run is asking us to believe that all of these stories, all, all of these issues, all of these offshoots actually happens to this one guy. And then that there's all this metaphysical stuff that keeps him from remembering a bunch of it. And I mean... Yeah, it's it's kind of noble that Spencer wants to address this and write these issues of continuity, but also I am totally comfortable if he were just to hand wave all this and give us like 60 issues of Peter and Mary Jane being back together and Peter having this funny roommate and he and the funny roommate adopting a giant tiny lizard. Like why <laughs> why not just tell good exciting Spider-Man stories? rather than have this kind of seminar on the essence of Spider-Man, the character, and what like publishing model, the publishing model and fan outrage and changing, you know, generations of creators have done to the character. Well, that's an interesting point. And I think we should just like 
forget structure and get into this discussion of this meta text, because I do think that that's the heart of the issue and there's no better way to get into it. So we're speaking specifically about Peter talking about this kind of cycle of punishment that he seems to have found himself in, which is, I think, and, 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 and you can correct me, Alan and Mark, if you feel, you know, this is a mischaracterization of it, but it's, it, to me, it read like, like you said, Alan, a, a character addressing the editors and creators who've handled him over the years saying like, they're holding me back artificially. Like something is holding me back artificially. And, you know, we had Tom Brevoort on the show and, you know, he had his whole manifesto about how, you know, the, the essence of Spider-Man is his youth. And we've been critical over the years uh, saying, you know, a, a character that doesn't grow, but continues to make all these mistakes. If you treat it literally and seriously as Alan, you're saying this book is, he begins to look like a genuine fool of a person who can never learn lessons and is doomed to continuously screw up his life in a way that makes him kind of not even fun to read because it's like you're you're reading like the world's most inept, like emotionally inept, like person, like, and, and we're finally going to address that. And I guess... Alan, you would rather see the book kind of just move on, like forget one more day, all that stuff. Mark, do you, I want, I'm curious to hear from you. Do you think, you know, cause it seems obviously the end of this book has a big page of Mephisto and they're talking about Peter's soul. Do you think that it is important for this book to address one more day and perhaps resolve it? so that the book can move forward? Or do we think the better way for the book to move forward is to just say, forget it, let's just tell good stories? I honestly think I fall more into the latter camp. And, and you know, it kind of goes back to what we have said dozens of times, or at least I've said dozens of times, and I know you don't disagree with this, Dan, which was like, you know, for all of the, the fan hatred and, and toxicness regarding breaking up the marriage, you know, I, I have long enjoyed brand new day coming from the ashes of one more day because for me those were great fun stories and it was kind of like you know I, I when I read those stories in retrospect and at the time frankly I wasn't sitting there being like oh man you know this is a lot of fun but if just Peter was married I don't you know what I mean like I never said that and like to me that was like like it kind of validated the whole experiment we could talk about whether one more day was appropriately executed but like it didn't it didn't change what came after but like to your point Dan it's like just because we we kind of hit a reset button on the character doesn't mean like the character should have stopped growing and it just meant that the growth should have come I think from a different point now because now the marriage was gone but like you say like the character still needs to like learn and reflect that's just that's just natural you know and and yeah like I, I i do feel we have gotten run after run after run that has like negated that idea but like nick spencer now all of a sudden's going back to the source of this and being like you know, one more day was a poorly executed story and I want to make right by it. It still doesn't change the fact that like other poor writing and editorial decisions that preceded what he's doing now, like damage the character. And, uh, you know, like him fixing one more day is not going to fix the character. You know, it just won't. So, yeah, like 
Like, why don't we stop trying to fix and just write good s- stuff the way we Spider-Man was basically written the first 48 years of his existence where the character had a progression. Absolutely <laughs> could do with this Mephisto storyline and, you know, that's coming up. I mean, it's an exciting, engaging storyline, but like waiting so many issues for it and making it be like kind of the big secret reveal of this long run, you know, just makes it feel like, like the book is kind of a drag and has been for a while. And like all this kind of dreamlike kindred stuff that has been operating at the edges of of the narrative and the sense of unreality that you guys have addressed many times. I don't hear the kindred alarm, by the way, makes the run feel like weirdly insubstantial as it's happening because it feels like it's about the idea of a run of Spider-Man comics rather than just being a run of fun, exciting Spider-Man comics. And I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing you know, what he is going to do with One More Day. That That's really exciting. Nobody who picks up a comic or, like, looks at these issues on Marvel Unlimited because they like the MCU is going to have any idea what it, the hell any of this is or why any of this matters. There's a reason Hobgoblin Lives was a miniseries rather than taking over the books for a couple months. Yeah, that's a really good, really good point. And frankly, I mean, that's something I've hit upon a, mon- a number of times here. I mean, whether it be the use of like the Sin Eater or, or you know, like the, the references to Spectacular 200. I mean, like we are just constantly mining these niche stories that, you know, granted, they're they're great stories. But yeah, I mean, like we're we're in the entertainment business here. And like, you know, if you're just coming in and checking in on this for the first time and you're not like a super fan. You're not going to know what the heck's going on. And and that's, you know, like Marvel is doing itself a disservice with that. You know, like, I mean, I don't know who they're hooking into this book besides very hardcore fans who might have lapsed off the book following one more day. <laughs> I can tell you anecdotally that I've gotten a number of messages on our Patreon this week from people saying, thank you for these shows. I would have no idea what is going on in this comic without you guys summarizing them and going through them and providing the connections for me. It's it's directed directly at us, which is weird to hear us complaining about it. As for as for my feelings about the one more dayness of it all, is that like I actually don't necessarily think that the character of Spider-Man is really at the heart of the brokenness of One More Day. For me, it's the Mary Jane of it all. There is no way that you can't have Mary Jane in a substantial role in this comic. Like, you know, barring someone coming up with an equally wonderful to read character with a very fascinating history overnight, like Mary Jane is a core cast member. I would say maybe the co-lead of the Spider-Man titles from over the years. I mean, there's been great characters that have been invented over the past few years. I think Anna Maria Marconi had a lot of promise when she first kind of came onto the scene. Um, and I don't really know what's been done with her since. I won't I won't include Sanjani on that list. You know, you can't replace Mary Jane. And so long as Mary Jane is going to be in this book, that question is going to hang over the head of that character about, like, what is the lore for Mary Jane what is their relationship like and why can't it move forward, right? It's a way of like arresting Peter in another way, which is he's a warm-blooded male character with 
Mary Jane on the page with him, a person with whom he's very close to. And it, it, the book just can't avoid it. So in my mind, you kind of need to get into this a little bit. I don't think we should have spent this much time on it. It's like touching the third rail for, for a prolonged period of time, hoping that the, 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 the shock will continue to shock you like it did when you first touched it. It's important for to heal the Mary Jane relationship, which should be a core relationship at the heart of this book. And so long as there's some magic wand reason for why it can't happen, you might as well do a story that redeems that choice in some way and ties it into the themes of Spider-Man, which, you know, if I'm to jump ahead and we should get into the content of this book, you know, Spider-Man says in this book, I feel responsible for this. And if it is his choice to make a deal with the devil and damage his soul in some way that has led to this kind of increasing damage, to me, that's actually a really great idea for a Spider-Man story and a way to redeem what people saw as a terrible choice to write Peter making a deal with the devil, which is why I think I've long held on to this theory that that's what was going on here. So I'm I'm here for it. I just don't know how you can sustain 60 plus comics on the back of that thing that people find so re, uh, revolting. So anyway, I think that's why there was the reaction to this comic that there was. Overall thoughts, let's get into the the content uh, of, of this issue. We open with a dream sequence like we've been getting, like you described, um, Alan. You know, we get this short scene with MJ. She has gotten breakfast for Peter. And I thought there was a, a nice moment where she says, no time for moody narration now. And this is kind of part of that Spencerism of acknowledging his own writing within the title itself, even if in like a charming way. It was a nice, a nice little moment. I mean, I also, I mean, it like, I feel like MJ's personality as a whole was really shining here. I mean, like, oh, I just made you breakfast that I got from the bodega. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, those are like the little, little lines of, I mean, the whole scene is charming, you know, like, and, and to your original point, Dan, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to backtrack on this conversation here, but like, I, I, I don't fully subscribe to what you're saying about MJ and her essentialness to the larger arc of Spider-Man, but these moments like these certainly validate what you're saying. It's just that even when the character was at her best, we don't always, we didn't always get stuff like this from her. So, I mean, but like this was certainly a charming sequence and yes, very meta, very knowing, but also great for the character. I, I feel like in this issue, and maybe kind of stealthily in the background for quite a while here, Mary Jane is this run's protagonist. She's the one making the decision. She's the one who knows what's actually going on. And here she is the one to wake Peter from his nightmare, get him out onto a stage, put the spotlight on him and get him to confess all of these things that he's feeling, almost as if she's preparing for him to actually face whatever it is that she knows that that he doesn't. Then she's done that before. Like I, I, I mentioned to you, Dan, when we were talking on Facebook, this issue bears a little bit of similarity to uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 275, you know, one of the most lackluster hobgoblin issues, but a great Peter Mary Jane issue, where they walk through Central Park and she asks him how he became Spider-Man, and they reprint the origin, and she convinces him not to give it up. You know, he was going through one of his I'm done with this phases, 
and she convinces him not to give it up. And she's playing something like that same role here. It is kind of funny to me, of all the characters in in Peter's orbit, she seems the least nonplussed about the, the mere existence of Kindred and his connection to Harry Osborne, which I think is a very curious decision being made here for the character, you know, like, like, yes, she's not only omniscient, like she, she is, she is driving this story and also seems, you know, whereas I think in, in other instances, she would have a stronger reaction or opinion to what is happening. She seems very both calm and kind of removed from what is actually happening in a weird way. And, and, you know, maybe this goes back to, Dan and you know I don't want to I don't want to oversell it Dan but maybe there's something back to your original theory about Kindred or something but it's it's a very it's a very deliberate choice for the character here Do, am I am I am I making sense here I don't know what quite to make of it but I I think she in in issue 25 where she has that kind of standoff against the new Electro and the kind of events that led up to that with Carly getting her into that like AA group for like significant others or friends of superheroes. She's kind of like owned her role within this world, which has kind of put her above it in some way. Like she's very kind of like come what may, if you will. And in in that, I think it's given her a bit of peace. And I think we're seeing that kind of like uh, come out here. I thought it was really interesting that in the kind of lead up to this moment from the theater in Amazing Spider-Man 96 that she discusses going to a therapist after the death of Gwen, who she calls her best friend, which I think is a weird retcon because I don't remember them being best friends. Although I guess you could read their kind of flirty competitiveness as like friendly as they competed over Peter. But I don't remember the two of them like hanging out on their own. She even just the idea of Mary Jane going to therapy suggests like a, you know, it pushes this character into a more well-rounded place of, of someone whose emotions were we should be actively charting. And so I think it does give value to how she's behaving here because that's something that Nick Spencer values. It always seemed to me that she grew up before Peter did. And you see that in the DeFalco Friends run. You know, when she confesses to him, I've always known you were Spider-Man. And then they have that issue where she talks about her past. It just seems to me that she is in many ways a, a more rounded, mature, thoughtful character. But I, I do you have the kindred alarm ready? I, I hope it's it's ready. Because this issue, she makes a fashion choice that reminds me of your <laughs> Dan, your original brilliant theory about you know who the kindred's identity. When you notice like the buckles and her purple jacket or her purple coat in one old issue, I forget which issue it was. Uh, one was it one forty three, Dan? Purple coats, I believe so. It's the purple first coats and kindred. In this issue, she is literally wearing the coat that Prince wore in like nineteen eighty three and nineteen eighty four uh, on the Purple Rain tour. You know, on the nineteen ninety nine tour, on the cover of Purple Rain, she's not wearing the frilly ruffled blouse. Prince wears it more feminine than she does. Uh, which is a breakthrough for our society, I believe. And, uh, but I'm not saying it looks like that coat. I'm saying it is that coat. That coat is the model for this coat that Bagley has drawn on her. This is not the colorist's idea. Let's make that coat purple. She is wearing Prince's purple raincoat. And I don't know if they're making fun of you 
or if that's a clue. It could also just be that, you know, for Mark Bagley, you know, Prince and Purple Rain was like is like the current hot record, you know, so I yeah, that, that I'm just saying <laughs> Bagley Bagley is not always known for his currency. <laughs> I've become less convinced that Mary Jane is like associated with Kindred directly but I still do think that the design of the Kindred outfit is based off of that first kiss between Peter and MJ in the airport, even though the coloring of Kindred seems to change issue to issue. I don't know whether he has a purple coat or an orange coat or or what as as the colorists uh, change it. But I'm going to go with that he's wearing a purple coat. You know, speaking of Kindred and, and appearances in this issue, I thought the sequence where Mary Jane has Peter close his eyes and imagine Kindred be in that theater with them was beautifully laid out on the page of the darkness kind of seeping through the wall, Peter's narration and him opening his eyes. And then the half page reveal of Kindred. It was the first time I was ever convinced by Mark Bagley's drawing of Kindred like that, like this was the same menacing character that we got from like Otley and Ramos he had the right kind of edginess. The inks were sharper and he just looked way more menacing. And, and I love this image. And it convinced me that Mark Bagley had like dialed into that character. Finally, I would just go a step further. I mean, like I, I you, you had the menace being conveyed by Bagley, but like, I mean, this, this whole issue, frankly, was in Bagley's wheelhouse in terms of just capturing, you know, like it actually reminded me at many occasions. And if I'm overstating it here because it's such a classic issue, I apologize. But of that ultimate issue where Peter is revealing to MJ that he's Spider-Man and it's just the two of them talking in his bedroom, just the intimacy of the character interactions being captured between the two of them. Like I, I was getting strong vibes of that throughout this issue, in addition to the good costume character work. And I love his Peter Parker in this issue. He's slightly older looking than the Peter that we got during Bagley's initial run on the title, but he's not quite like the Richard Parker that we saw him draw then or in ultimate Spider-Man. And so like, it's been interesting to me, like between ultimate Spider-Man and this, we've seen his version of like teenage Peter, early twenties, Peter, and now like mid to late twenties, Peter, and even like thirties, forties, Peter in the clone issues from the ultimate run. And, and not to mention life story where we got a decade at a time, Peter getting older. So like uh, there's no artist that I think is better captured that it's nice to see that this Peter, at least I think, especially in this issue seems genuinely visually distinct in terms of like where he's at in the stage of his life. You're talking about the sequence of, uh, of all these heads, you know, Peter unloads and, you know, to me, this is kind of like the bulk, the heart of the issue is like Peter getting at this kind of like where he feels. And we talked a lot about this in the opening of this Store, uh, of this episode is this kind of metatextual thing of cycles and um, that he feels like he might actually be responsible this time. And for me, we didn't talk about this earlier, even additional metatextually, this, they talk about how like the rubber band that we've talked about on the show before that like the, there's a core of the character that can be stretched this way or that, but it inevitably always snaps back to the middle. And so he brings up like things like Avengers and Parker Industries and how he has been a part of those things, but inevitably they don't last for very long. 
you know, do, do you think this story is going to suggest at some point that the reason that those status quos have not stuck is because of some mystical force that wants to keep Peter stagnant? Like, is that where this is he- heading, you think? Like the literalization of Peter's publishing cycle and editorial demands? It's certainly an interesting theory. I mean, and I think also whatever you want to believe in full about Kindred's identity, I mean, there is there is no denying the fact that what what brought Kindred out on this book, whether it's coincidence or not, was him finally kind of making a bigger step forward with MJ than he's ever made before. And it it makes me wonder, you know, one of the core essences of this character has always been his, his ability to fight through adversity and maybe in finally pushing harder against the rubber band than he's ever pushed before is what's kind of bringing this all to a head. And maybe that's what we're going to explore here. I mean, like it's, I know, you know, we, we, not to jump ahead, we kind of end with this question of what is wrong with Peter's soul, but maybe it's the fact that it has now gotten to this point actually shows that ultimately his soul is truly good because it kind of goes back to the core essence of the character that we got all the way back in those Ditko issues where he's pushing up against the steel, you know, like maybe it's it's a more spiritual steel now. Yeah, maybe there there has been some kind of mystical bound uh, on the character, mystical binding. Excuse me. This is this is him pushing harder against it than he's ever pushed before, and that's why it's unleashed this, these these threats and 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 this torment against him in a, in, a, in a way that he's never faced before. I guess I don't know. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Alan, you're nodding vigorously. Oh, well, I, I think, what are your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, Mark, on all you're this? probably right there, but I also think that uh, Peter's had a couple iffy runs lately, you know, and he's had a lot of iffy runs, you know, over the last 20, 30 years. And that's just how it goes with comic characters. And most of them don't walk around bearing the weight of all of those iffy runs. They just get swept under the rug. And I expect that that is still what is going to happen, you know, with most of these things and that Spencer is toying with these ideas, but that his big quarry, his big target is fixing the one thing that even people who maybe are not obsessive collectors and readers of this comic know went wrong. And that is one more day. I mean, I think ultimately if anything is going to get fixed here, it's just going to be one more day. Parker industries is not going to be wiped out of existence. It's just going to be, It's just going to be politely memory hold, just like Sin's past is politely memory hold, which is fine with me. I don't need I don't need cosmic forces undoing that story. I I think it's just kind of Spencer's playfulness and his intelligence that has him acknowledging these things in the issue. And I guess it's up to one's own personal taste whether or not that's a little too cute. There's been this kind of talk that like Nick Spencer's role on this book, uh, and I've seen this not just on our show, but just kind of generally is as like Mr. Fix It or Mr. Cleanup. You know, people are like, he's doing it for us, the fans. He's cleaning it up so that someone else can have like a fresh, uh, you know, slate on it. And I, I think, you know, I think it needs to be somewhere in between, which I think is what you've said all along, Alan. It's like, tell us some good stories 
if it, you know, primarily and clean it up if, if you can. Risks um, future uh, and, and so, take some risks that future creators are going to have to clean up. Someone inevitably 10 years from now is going to clean up that issue where Kindred kills Peter a hundred times. Like that that's you know that's a big swing and it's probably a mistake for the character to have spider-man being so deeply endlessly traumatized the rest of his life you know that the horror of that moment of, of that day of those deaths is so profound and in this issue i was kind of annoyed at how peter kind of slights that you know saying that as upsetting as that was i was really upset at that my friends were here well yeah of course you are peter of course you're upset by that but i mean being buried alive by craven has haunted him for 30 years being killed a hundred times by his best friend come on it's it's just too much just to jump off that alan i like i i reacted to the kind of the glibness of that scene too and it actually like to your also to your point of it will be cleaned up at some point like it almost made me think are we gonna find out that like this was just an, this was like those deaths were actually like a mirage from mysterio or something you know what i mean like is it is it just some kind of special effect that made him think he was dying and being resurrected you know dozens of times in succession because like i feel like the way it was kind of brushed aside, it would have had to been <laughs> like it, 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 it couldn't have been real. Like it's we're, we're, we're going to get some kind of retcon or no prize with that at some point, I think. Well, either way, the trauma of that would impact someone, especially, you know, on the back of the clone conspiracy where that was the very exact thing that made Ben Riley. That's exactly what I was going to say. And to, to, to me, the uh, fact that the Spider-Man being murdered again and again has not had a greater impact on him and his psyche actually kind of exemplifies this runs general feeling that not much of what happens here actually matters to Peter. And I will go back to my original comment at the very start of this, which is I, I can't tell whether that is intentional on Spencer's part or whether that's just because we don't get that page every issue of Peter thinking about the current state of his life. How have you responded to the kind of omniscient narration that we've been getting throughout this book from Peter, where he's like describing actions that he's not actually involved in. Has that stood out to you as much as it's kind of bothered me? A bit, because it's Spencer, I'm always aware that it could be a trick. It could be somebody else. You know, that you you never quite, you. the thing with his entire run is you never feel quite 100% sure who's talking to you, who's conscious of what's going on. And ultimately I've kind of gotten tired of trying to work all that out. But I loved the page in this issue where after the light has been let in and he swings off to go to class, you know, when he remembers, oh, no, I have to get the class. I appreciated that because I was like, oh, yeah, you're in school. You never think about it. (laughs) So, I mean, I almost feel like this issue and I would say the couple issues after Last Remains, which I actually liked all those issues more than I liked Last Remains feels to me like the book is edging towards a more traditional run where these 
plots are kind of twined together. The end of this issue, where where the Mysterio story, Mary Jane's movie kind of come back into it, where we get, you know, where we also know from the previous issues that the tablet story is still in play, and where we, Doctor Strange, you know, makes his confrontation. It does feel like, for the first time in its entire run, that storylines are being bound up together and occurring at the same time, rather than each being consigned to their own discrete issue. And that's what I mean when I say it feels more like a traditional run of Amazing Spider-Man, the last couple issues. And I've been getting more and more excited about the book ever since Last Remains ended. This issue definitely solidified that for me because it's starting to feel like what Mark mentioned at the very top of the show. It's starting to feel much more like strong serialized storytelling with a sense of momentum and with like the sense of simmering plots. I want to return to the Mysterio thing for a second. You know, I I loved the kind of wrap up of this between Peter and MJ as he rushes off to class. You get this beautiful, you know, full page of them hugging in light in the darkness. And Peter remarks, you know, so long as I have MJ, maybe that's all I need. And I think all of that stuff was really beautiful and the visualization of it was really beautiful. But then, you know, as Peter's suggesting, oh, you know, she's the person I can trust. We undermine that a bit by having her keeping a secret from him in the form of Mysterio. And this for me was the one true sour moment of this book. Not that I don't like Mysterio. I love Mysterio, but only because it took me back to what I thought was a really poor canceled miniseries, Amazing Mary Jane, where I just did not recognize the character at all. I don't know a Mary Jane that would team up with Mysterio or even in this case, you know, Mysterio has known Peter's identity at least as far back as issue one of this run. But here we're aware that Mary Jane is comfortable with Mysterio knowing that. And no amount of advent- silly adventures in Hollywood is enough to make me believe that Mary Jane would be totally cool with Mysterio knowing Peter's identity and keeping that a secret from him. For the first time in this run, those hints that something more more nefarious is going on behind the scenes are not tantalizing. They're disappointing because yeah, this, I mean the place Mary Jane brought him to the intimacy that these pages demonstrated and the beauty of that splash page where they hug. I mean, to, to, to me, the, the, the Spencer literally saw Spencer and Bagley literally shine a spotlight on these two hugging, renewing, maybe not their vows, but their commitment to each other, their commitment to caring for each other and helping each other out, and then immediately undercuts it. And I don't know how to read that yet. But Mary Jane Savvy, maybe she's up to something. I don't know. Maybe she's smarter than the character in the miniseries. Yeah, I mean, but it also goes back to what I was saying a few minutes ago with like, you know, as 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 lovely and charming as MJ is in this issue throughout like this this scene does kind of bring on this idea that there is something more i don't want to say sinister but just something more like you said dan like how is she that okay with not only with mysterio knowing peter's identity but like like kind of actively engaging with Mysterio about it in a way that like it's it's very 
it's unnerving, you know, like what, what, what you know, like wh- wh- how much does MJ know to be this calm about that? I it, like, like it, it, it's, and what does she know? And, and, and that's, you know, like, again, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole of how this relates to Kindred or, or whatever, but like it, 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 it certainly would lend credence to wanting to jump down that rabbit hole because it's, it's a very odd, deliberate choice to be making about the character. And I can't really blame Nick Spencer for this one because, like, I feel like he was setting up something very different than what happened in Amazing Mary Jane, right? Like, the setup for that was Kindred has a script for Mary Jane that's going to take her away and get her out of the way for Peter to be messed with and potentially mess with her as well. And that was never touched upon, you know, in, in that miniseries. So it makes me wonder if, you know, that is just a dropped thread here because the way that Mysterio talks about Kindred with Mary Jane here is kind of like, you don't want to know more. Like, I'm not really in cahoots with that guy. I'm in cahoots with you now. And it's like, okay, I don't really know how that's functioning, but sure. Okay. It looks on the page as if Mary Jane invited Mysterio to hang out at Spider-Man's therapy session, which would be an intense violation of their relationship in every way. Yeah, but no doubt. But we never had <laughs> tinglings of spider sense from Peter. And I mean, if, if sunbathers on the roof of his building set it off. You know, I, I think Mysterio being in the crowd as he makes cl- in the audience as as Spider-Man makes it very clear who he is and reveals his most uh, his deepest fears. Yeah, that's I, I think Mysterio did not was not there for that. Yeah. She does ask him, like, how much did you hear? And he says just enough to know like the pain that he's going through or something like that. Well, it was so, that, well, it was like, more, I, no, I thought it was just enough to know you made promises that you can't keep. But I thought that was more it, referring to, yeah. I thought that was more referring to specifically the location of the movie premiere. That's true. So maybe he only did come in at the very end there. It is still dubious that she's cool with Mysterio knowing his identity, but, but fine. Let's talk about this final scene. So Dr. Strange appears in Las Vegas where Mephisto runs a casino there as established in the Damnation series. I don't know. Did you guys read this series? No, uh, Dan, by Nick Dan you are the current Marvel uh, czar for me when it comes to this kind of stuff. Like <laughs> I, I, that this, I was today years old when I learned that's what Mephisto is doing right now. <laughs> yeah, um, it was actually a really good story that kind of uh, bookended Donny Cates' run, short run on Doctor Strange. And so he and Nick Spencer teamed up to do this damnation storyline that uh, that resulted in Ghost Rider becoming the new king of hell and Mephisto being trapped on Earth in a casino. But that's been recently undone. But it looks like he's still just running the casino because why not? Which I think he expresses in this issue. What's more curious is that even before we know that it's Mephisto, although the text certainly gives it away, the font choice, you know, Doctor Strange, you know, asks him about Kindred and Mephisto says, I don't know this person. I mean, it's Mephisto. You can't trust him. But it seems somewhat sincere, you know, if you read it, although Doctor Strange calls him out on it again later and, you know, confronts him and says, what is wrong with Peter Parker's soul? You know, partnering with a big evil smile up to this point, you know, the marriage wasn't represented as like Peter's soul. But I, I think that's what we're going to get at is that this piece of the marriage was somehow damaging to the literal soul of the character. And 
at least to me, that's really intriguing as much as we talked about, like, maybe it's not necessary to go back into one more day. It's intriguing to me, at least, because that was my theory from issue one was that like this was the soul of the marriage in the form of kindred. So I'm like keeping my fingers crossed that like my prediction ends up being true in some form. I mean, or it could just be the soul of Peter. Like, I, I, you know, not 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 to not to, you know, blow a hole through your theory here, Dan. But like, I mean, it, it's I, I, I do wonder at the end of the day if what this whole story is going to culminate with is going to be the battle for Peter's soul. You know, like it's just it it just feels like that's where the pieces are starting to be moved towards. I I could be wrong, but, you know, I think I think Peter's relationship with MJ, Peter's relationship with Harry, all of these things are kind of centered to his soul and whether something was clearly damaged or destroyed by it with the deal he made with Mephisto. Well, I, I guess to close out this discussion, I just want to hear your guys' immediate reaction upon turning that page and seeing the reveal of Mephisto. You know those uh, those subscri- those circulation notices that they used to have to run on the letters page in the Marvel books like once a year, where they lay out how many issues they've sold, how many they printed, blah, 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 for each individual magazine. I When, Mephis- when Doctor Strange asked Mephisto what is wrong with Peter Parker's soul... Mephisto's response should have been to give him one of those. <laughs> uh, I love I love the page. I love where this is going. I'm very excited about it, despite all of my my criticism earlier. Uh, if if this like wraps up in like three or four issues, it's 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 a good story. I'm with Mark that it should never have taken this long to get here. I do assume that Spencer has been waylaid and misled by editorial in a lot of ways. You know, and it wound up with this thing getting so so dragged out and protracted. But I, I'm hopeful that this might not be a run I relish revisiting in the future, but I am hopeful that this run will accomplish these higher, loftier goals it seems to have and uh, make everybody feel a little more comfortable with Spider-Man and Mary Jane doing whatever they're doing. The other thing I'll add, though, is that this this issue still follows this run's tendency to not have Peter make any interesting choices or motivate any of his own action. Everything anyone does in this issue that is of note is someone besides him. All I could say is if this was 1994, the you know now that we got to this page finally and this reveal finally, what I would probably be expecting for the next six months is like maximum solage uh, with an alpha and omega <laughs> issue, uh, the debut of like spider soul side, uh, because that's kind of I mean, like at the end of the day, that's kind of what I feel about the Kindred story is I feel that this is truly just like. The clone saga in terms of like, let's pad it some more. Let's pad it some more. Let's keep going. You know, we, I, which again, like I, I can't I can't imagine that the sales of this book are, you know, justifying it the way they did in the 90s. But I mean, maybe comparatively they are. But but no, I mean, I, I, I did feel a sense. I mean, in all seriousness, I did feel a sense of satisfaction. But yet it's hard to separate myself from the idea of like. Like, I've been kind of in my own way, not necessarily exactly as it played out here, but like expecting something akin to this moment now for 
more than a year since since the absolute carnage tie-ins like i thought like okay now we're finally going to get that moment and we never did so it's like okay like if we're really gonna finally ride some momentum on this story then hallelujah let's do it but like if we're just gonna get maximum solage <laughs> i am not here for it i'm just not like, like like you know let's let's finally let's finally cook you know let's let's cook with this the story you know <laughs> and and my feeling was just one of relief i i don't know if it was re- relief for me or relief for nick spencer or whoever like i just want to keep moving forward and i think these past three issues have made me more confident. I know we're getting like a six issue and a giant size Spider-Man lifeline tablet arc coming up. But I do have the confidence that that is related to this story now. Like I think the past three issues have tied those together. And so I'm hoping, look, I don't want it to take 10 issues to wrap this up, but like I feel like we are moving in that direction. And this reveal to me was like, I just... I took a breath for once to go, okay, we're acknowledging that this is where we're going. We don't have to beat around the bush anymore. We've arrived. Now let's do this thing. And that's, that's really my kind of, this page had a lot of emotion for me, even though I expected it, I just felt relief. You know, I, I made that mean joke earlier about getting a, a, uh, you know, getting a seminar on the history of fireworks when you finally get to the fireworks factory. But no, this is a fine fireworks display of Marvel madness, and I'm excited for it. And the thing is, despite my general criticisms of this run, I I still have faith in Nick Spencer, who's written so many great comics, that this could still get somewhere great. Agreed. All right. So let's, let's get to our grades, Alan, you know, we do this kind of like high school grading system. Oh, I'm, I'm a straight up a minus on this. The Bagley art, Peter's faces, the, you know, the facing, the trauma of being Peter, the meta stuff, eh, not so much, but I, I get that that's some people's bag. That's fine. I guess if Marvel's not going to run letters pages anymore, they got to just put it into the book itself. <laughs> but yeah, A minus. This is seriously good stuff, despite some kind of minor qualms I have about the run itself. I'm going to be a bit of a jerk here because I'm going to give two grades. The first grade is going to be the issue in a vacuum by itself. I will give it a B plus because I did find it to be mostly excellent uh, with a few flaws that we discussed within the issue itself. But I still feel like I need to throw out there and maybe I need to start doing this going forward until the, the mood is officially shifted and changed in terms of this as a long form story is still I would put it like a C minus right now. Like, you know, like that can change dramatically if we finally write the ship. But like, you know, like I, I, I'm tired of getting my hopes up with one issue and then being dashed again because long form, this thing just can't seem to get the momentum going. So I, I want to couch it with that, that like this was a very, very strong individual issue. But as a long form, this 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 narrative still has a lot to prove to me. So that's where I'm at. You, Dan? 
I'm there with you uh, both in spirit. I think I'm going to hedge a little bit and give this thing a B plus. I think I want to give it the A minus, um, Alan, that you gave it. But in the back of my mind is like that emotionally it didn't hit for me other than relief rather than connecting to the emotions in the book because I had already felt like I had arrived there so long ago. So in the moment, it's a B plus for me. But otherwise, like maybe what well, one I would say in the top five issues of the run, which probably uh, would ferret itself out with our with our review scores if you look back back over them. I'm not entirely sure. So so B plus for me. This will be an issue from this run that people still read, like twenty years from now, people will still read this issue. All right, Mark, why don't you take us home? I will, I will. Well, it is that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning into this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. And also a very extra special thank you to you, Mr. Alan Sherstall, for joining us. Alan, do you want to like tell us where we can find your stuff or, you know, what what non slack things you can be found on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I still write pieces occasionally. I had a, a New York Times arts feature about two weeks ago. That was exciting about the free jazz bassist William Parker. If you want to talk about free jazz or Spider-Man, I am your man. And you can find me on Twitter at, at studies and crap, which is a a handle that made great sense. But in you do still p- post some studies and crap every now and again on there. Yes, I, I do still some, but mostly it's stuff that I scanned in 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Thanks again for joining us, Alan. We always love having you on the show. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. Uh, well, this episode, as always, was edited by Rick Coast with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Busema, and Ray Sumzer, and our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. And I hope everybody uh, sent a thank you or some love to Rylan Bojack for our Threats and Menaces theme song from a couple episodes back. Uh, that was a lot of fun to have him return and, and produce that for us. Uh, This episode, like all of our review episodes, was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released. So if you'd like to help support our show's continued existence and these reviews while joining us on the live stream, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign up? Also, Dan, uh, we've got our 300th episode approaching fast. And you know me, when it comes to the number 300 in Spider-Man, I get very excited about 300, Dan. Uh, So if you, the listener at home, want to join us for that episode, uh, you can do so by giving us a ring at 9 Red Goblin. Yes, we created the Red Goblin first and let it never be forgotten. And then you can leave us a voicemail there about your memories of the show or a kudos or, you know, just to let... Let Dan Slott know, again, that he owes us a ton of royalties for that character. Um, you can also just send an audio file to AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com. Uh, if you leave your name and where you're calling from, we'll play it on our show as we look back on the past 100 episodes of Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, and I, I hope there'll be a bunch of fun guests on there. Maybe we even get Alan to return for, for 300 for a small segment. 
You know, I thought I was calling Red Goblin, but I think I was calling Goblin Chai for Goblin Child. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, whoever has that number has been getting some weird messages. Alan, Alan can be our Craig. Why is there an E? <laughs> can, I, can I just ask, by the way, when Goblin Child announced his name was Goblin Child, how did Peter know there was an E on the end? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Well, that's why we have him pronounce it Goblin Childy. That, that, clearly, that's the only way he could have known. I was just going to say, Dan, I think... Freaking beers while we've been doing this. I think in our uh, 300th episode analogs, Alan can be our craggly rock thing. Okay? I love it. I love it. I love <laughs> it. The little Felix so, the cat so, pajamas. Okay? Can you do it, Alan? <laughs> Uh, I will rail against the Yancey Street game. There we go. There we go. So, Mark and Alan, until we all exercise our demons as part of a one-man show held in the remnants of Manhattan's <laughs> theater scene, what's our motto? Hey, Alan, can you maybe hit me with like some jazz background while I say this line? <laughs> <laughs> Don't tempt okay. me. With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't miss the next in